Hey, I'm Cody. Hey, I'm Rob. And welcome to the inaugural episode of the Appalachian Agorist Podcast. As we said to the first inaugural episode of the Appalachian Agorist podcast, I'm Cody. I've got my co-host Rob, and we're Hello, here. Guys. And we're here to tell you how to be a more free human being. Hell yeah! So we decided to start this podcast. Some of you may recognize us. Some of you may not. But we've decided to start this podcast as um, a result of listening to a lot of liberty-minded podcasts. And although we love them and we have a lot of friends in the sphere, we've noticed that over the last three years or so, a lot of people have been discussing the same talking points that are important but are just regurgitated through different ways. And something that I found myself very passionate about, and I know Rob was too, is that we want to do more than just hit the, hit the libertarian or the ANCAP or agorist talking points. We want to make ourselves more free, help you make yourself more free and build our community into something physical and tangible rather than something restricted to uh, theory or just discussing repetitive issues. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. I know when you and I talked about, you know, going this avenue, uh, a lot of my issues with the other podcasts, and they're not really issues, just, you know, thoughts is that I had. Is it, it, it's, it's all very theoretical and like there were times where like, you know, it kind of annoyed me and there were times where I was like, Oh, I really want to like get into the theory of it. And it's, it's not like we're claiming to have all the solutions and we're not saying agorism is the only way or the way, but it's, it's a method. It's progress. It's something you can do right now to better yourself. And we want to, you know, kind of put some of that stuff out there, ways you can do things or, or how to do certain things to, to achieve that goal. And, you know, we don't claim to know everything about everything. Um, and a lot of my interest in it was, you know, being able to research some of the stuff on my own and, and learn about it. So it's, you know, I hope to learn through through teaching some of the stuff to our listeners. Um, so that's kind of my my goal for it. Yeah, and to expand on that, um, I would say that not only is it good to have all these different people in the sphere of liberty um, approaching our goal, because we all have pretty much the same goal. It's not only good to have them approaching the goal from different 
angles, but necessary. Um, I personally am not a big like LP guy. I'm not a um, overly involved, quote unquote, libertarian. I'm not, um, you know, involved with the Mises caucus or anything like that. But I can respect the effort that goes into that angle just as I have my own approach, they have theirs, but we are all on kind of the same side, which is um, easily forgotten, as most of us know, through Liberty Twitter um, and Instagram. There's a lot of uh, bickering between the, the cliques, if you will, and we're just here to try and bridge different people together and make your lives more free and our lives more free. Um, I guess a little background on me. Um, like I said, my name's Cody. I'm a former government employee. I worked in public service for nearly six years. Um, and recently left, uh, government employment for private sector. And now instead of just preaching, I'm walking, um, what I've always believed in. And it's, it's been awesome. Um, if you want to give your background real quick, Rob. Yeah, um, kind of similar. I also worked in uh, for a government entity uh, in the public se- uh, service sector for half the time before I had to give it up. Uh, <laughs> couldn't take it as long, nearly as long as you did. But um, I'm sure for some of the listeners, you know, they'll know the, more of the background than others. But, you know, just before, uh, you know, like you said, preaching it, you know, talking about it. Now I'm also starting to actually do it, you know, getting into the private sector and, and trying to live and, and act on some of the stuff we talked about and, and, you know, implementing that into my life. So things are, yeah. things are got, have gotten better since I left and I hope to continue moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I can say the same. Um, personally, when I left, I felt like it was a rebirthing of myself um, about two weeks after I left, I, I just felt like a different, a different man, a different human. Um, my, my focus had changed so much. And for the first time in a really long time, like I found inner peace and, uh, it's, it's been a beautiful experience, but I believe that you and I are on the same page that, there are different levels to freedom. You know, a lot of people just throw that word around and it's like freedom. Okay. Well, you know, there's different ways you can be free. You can be, you have tiers of freedom, if you will. You know, some people say this is America. We're free. Well, yeah, kind of, um, you know, it's better than other places in the world, but I wouldn't call it freedom. Um, moderate freedom at best. But regardless, um, one of the levels of freedom, I'm not sure if it's what I would call the first level of freedom, but I think it's one of the first very important steps in becoming a free individual is um, financial freedom. Uh, The ability to have your wealth in the currency of your choice, not be indebted to um, other individuals or entities, and 
being able to make your own choices based on your financial freedom. I feel like financial freedom opens up the doors for so many avenues that you can take. And that's why today is going to be all about financial freedom. Um, So I guess we'll kick it off by starting with the culture of society that we live in today. And just to kind of like set the view on that real quick is this is not about a culture of finance. This is just the um, culture that most people grow up believing. And we're raised and taught certain things all our life. And we just seem to absorb that information and accept it as reality when that may not be the case. And that is also like a key component of the ability to think critically is absorb information and kind of separate signal from noise and generate your own opinion based on it. So you want to kick us off into culture, Rob? Sure. Yeah. I uh, just kind of want to like stress on a point that you you just made of the whole culture and the financial part of it, Um, you know, financial freedom and, and particularly not or reducing debt, you know, that's, you know, a culture issue in itself nowadays, you know, uh, the younger age uh, individuals, you know, we, be, we become more of a, uh, you know, we want things now, you know, we're as a, as a society, we are less uh, likely to save money and, and, you know, plan purchases than we ever have been, you know, with the credit cards now. And it's, it's become a very, you know, buy now and worry about the payment later. And, you know, that is always, a risky way to look at it. Um, but that's just the reality we live in now. So, you know, the culture and financial, you know, freedom are very, very closely tied. Um, and like another point you were making, you know, we are all kind of raised during and, and preached, you know, go to school, graduate, you know, college, maybe, uh, get a good job and, and work hard. And, you know, that's great. A lot of that is, is, pretty good advice. Um, but it's, it, uh, things have changed, uh, from, you know, our grandparents generation to, to now it's, it's, it's funny when I, I talk to people, you know, family members or, or other who, you know, have worked like 50 years at the same job and like they keep pushing off their retirement. It's like, Oh, I'm retired, you know, January. Ah, I might as well keep working. Like, what am I going to do with my stuff? I'll retire later in the year. It's just like, <laughs> it makes me cringe now. Cause I'm just like, I mean, it's just basically devoting your life to a company that no longer exists. And you can see it through every sector, you know, people taking time off work, you know, the flexible schedules and all that, like people just aren't, you know, as willing to to give their life to companies as as they used to in the past. So that's definitely something I'm kind of actually glad to see happening. Um, I know in our previous profession, you know, taking a lot of time off, was not, not necessarily encouraged. Um, But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And that part I am glad to see changing. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I think whether you're 20 or 30, 40, and yeah, even 50s, like I forget we're getting older. And as we get older, others do as well. But regardless of your age, chances are, like Rob was saying, you were taught the same things. Like you were said the same things. Like you would go to school and then apply to college and 
then the goal was to graduate and get a job with benefits and, you know, climb that ladder, work hard, and then you work harder. And then, you know, you have this stable career. And I'm just not convinced that's the way we're supposed to live anymore. You know, I always said um, that if I had two lives, I would live one on the straight and narrow and I would do everything the way like my grandfather told me to. I'd go to college. I'd get that government job working with, you know, the CIA or I'd go into the military as an officer. Or, you know, I would get some sort of very stable job. I'd put in my time and then I would retire and live out the rest of my days. And I also said if I had that second life, I would do the exact opposite. I I would do whatever I wanted that made me happy. Um, I'm not saying like I'd go into huge amounts of debt. I'm just saying like I wouldn't <laughs> be on the grind, you know, with a company or uh, a jurisdiction, local or federal, whatever. Um, I would go where I want to go. I wouldn't be afraid to make decisions that were risky and scared me. And the reality is you don't get two lives, you get one. And so, you know, I started my life out on that straight and narrow. Um, and recently I was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Like this isn't fulfilling me. It's not fulfilling me as a person. It is time for a change. And so I decided to kick that culture to the curb and here I am <laughs> working in the private sector, um, happier than ever, took a massive pay cut. Um, I did keep benefits, which is nice, but um, yeah, it's just that culture. It really, I think it really bogs down a lot of people, especially if there was one part that I think is bogging down in like, actually you could argue maybe even diminishing people's potential would be college. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, that's absolutely great point. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, I think things are changing. Uh, I think eventually, or I guess as time goes on, we're going to transition away from requiring degrees. Uh, I was one of those kids that grew up and, you know, I was expected to go to college. It, it was not an option for me not to. Um, I was even fortunate enough to have, you know, my tuition paid for by my grandparents. So there was absolutely no way I was getting out of going to college. And honestly, it, to me, it felt like an, a four-year extension of high school. I did, the work never got harder. Um, you know, I may have learned more specific stuff uh, related to my degree, which is in uh, business management. Uh, but overall, you know, you learn more about, I guess, being on your own and, you know, the more than you do the actual education. Um, oh, and I th certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's and I was fortunate enough to go to high school in a, in a, you know, a very, a fairly wealthy county the schools, you know, the public schools were good. You know, I went to one of probably the, the lower rated school, public schools in the area. And I still feel like I got an excellent education. Uh, and that was proved by college being almost seamless. It was repeating the same thing. Um, but I think, you know, 
companies are even the government actually are, are starting to move away from you know requiring this education uh, in personal belief uh, I think some of the the private companies out there are getting tired of the product you know being produced by these schools these public education schools um, it's not the same as it was and there is actual data that says they are moving away from that a um, couple of things I found you know like you know, somewhere like nine in 10 employers are already ready to accept candidates without four-year degrees. Um, and that is increasing, you know, months to years. Uh, they're even opening to hiring candidates with basically just like some sort of recognized certification, you know, field-related or any a certificate uh, from a, you know, accreditation company um, to even just like, you know, uh, like massive online courses. You know, that stuff is being more and more accepted because, you know, by selecting or by making people have degrees, they were they were losing out on a lot of good uh, employees, especially uh, employees that were middle class, hardworking, um, you know, ones that did the skilled jobs uh, were not being considered, and it was really hurting the the um, hiring pool. So. I think that's a, I'm glad to see it's going that way. Um, cause like, with, like I said, with my experience in college, I don't think it got me, uh, you know, really anything that I didn't already know. And, you know, for those who don't know, I went into a field that doesn't requ- didn't require a college degree. So, you know, had I not had the for- the fortunate from the uh, payments from my grandparents, they had already taken care of it. I was racked up a ton of student debt and for what, you know, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I went to college as well. Um, the difference is I didn't graduate. Um, I went to high school in a, you know, just like Rob, I think maybe even the same county. I'm not sure. But I think we're in the same district, actually. Yeah. We went to high school very close geographically to each other. Um, but, I had an excellent education in high school. And I guess the one thing I just thought of is I don't want to make it sound like I'm downplaying or we're downplaying the value of education. Not at all what I'm saying. And I don't think that's what Rob's saying at all. But I agree with him on college being an extension of high school. You know, I took really advanced classes in high school um, up until about my senior year when I stopped caring. And then I just slacked off and took easy classes about stuff I had learned five years ago um, just to get it over with because I was done. And I thought college would be so much different. So I went to college and I took all these intro level classes you have to take as a freshman. And I was like, okay, once I get these out of the way, it'll be fine. And then my sophomore and junior year, I met the requirements to start taking my more advanced level political science classes because that was my major. And once I finished all those, I would have to go back and take all these electives and more basic level classes designed for freshman and sophomore my senior year. And I just wasn't having it. I was done. I was like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm receiving an education anymore. Um, there were definitely some classes that I took where they were very valuable and I didn't learn in uh, high school, but I learned so much in high school that I didn't learn in college either. Like I got to go take CAD classes um, on the computer, like engineering classes. Uh, I got to do 
I mean, they had all sorts of stuff. They had um, vocational school, like trade schools, electric, electrical, HVAC, uh, auto shop. I think they even had like body work and stuff. And I wish instead of taking like going to college, I wish I could have almost ex- like extended my time in those areas to get as many skills and real tangible, valuable things uh, that I could because I didn't learn much my first two years of, of college. I really didn't. And uh, I did rack up debt and then, you know, I had to pay it off because I didn't graduate. So um, yeah, that that's pretty much like how I feel. And like what my advice would be is like, don't rule out college, but really start to look at alternative things and ask yourself the, the hard questions. Who are you and what do you want to do and how do you get to those? And like, you have to be able to reflect on yourself and really find out what makes you happy because I can promise you coming from a job that made a lot of money. Well, I say a lot of money. I, I made like almost 80,000 a year. And to me, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Um, I consider that, yeah, I consider that a large amount of money. I mean, I know we might have some listeners that make double, triple, you know, 5 billion times that, but you know, to me and my simple way of living, uh, that was a lot of money. And I walked away from it because it didn't make me happy. And, uh, the important thing is that I was able to, recognize why I was stuck there and how I could correct it. Um, which is kind of a bridge into like the first step of financial freedom, unless you wanted to add some more on college and culture. And Yeah. Just one last point. I'm glad you brought up the thing about education. I, I was definitely not putting anybody down for pursuing a college degree. I mean, I, it is, you know, it is so important. Um, and, that it absolutely is something if we need lawyers, doctors, you know, stuff like that. It's, you know, absolutely education is, is crucial. Even, you know, scientists, mathematicians. Um, but a lot of it gets back to, you know, what you said about, you know, knowing, you know, knowing yourself and, and kind of making a plan, understanding like what, how you live and, and what you want to do moving forward. I know this is asking a lot of high schoolers, you know, to be thinking this way, but, you know, getting a degree to get a degree, it's honestly nowadays I believe is doing more harm than good. Uh, if you have a plan and you have you want to do this degree so you can get this job, and, and that's perfectly fine. I, I encourage that. That's where the education system is great. But having this like influx of people going to college just to say they went to college to get a piece of paper, that's I think what's what's hurting the the job market. So I, I appreciate you saying that. You know, education is still important. I don't hope I didn't put anybody down by by saying that what I said first. No, no, I don't. Yeah, think. bridging it. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, um, like I said, we both left very, very well-paying careers. We had um, benefits. We had great benefits. We had uh, good salaries. We had a stable employment status. Like I there's not much we could have done to get fired. (laughs) If we had wanted to, we could have kept our head low, um, just shown up, done our job, gone home and stayed there for 30 years. Could have, didn't, a lot of reasons why, but that's not 
today's topic. Today's topic, like I said, we're going to focus more on what we did with those careers. So like for me, in my personal uh, experiences, I took the money I was making and I always lived within my means. That's the first step, really. Living within your means and realizing that when it gets down to it, this is my personal belief. Um, you need to let your worldly possessions go. And I'm not saying that you can't have things you enjoy. Like I play guitar. I love my guitars. I have very nice guitars, but I'm not willing to lose my livelihood over playing the guitar or buying guitars or having a nice car or, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. And that's a really dangerous I mean, kind of going back to culture, that's a dangerous part of the world we live in. You know, you need to realize that none of that stuff matters and it's more important to live within your means. So while I was living within my means, I, like most Americans, had racked up some debt. Things happened. I wasn't financially prepared for. We got a big raise. I was making good money, paid off my debt, um, and that really took a lot off my shoulders. Um, and when I say debt, debt is really just a expenditure of your future earnings. So you've already sold your time because we're paid in dollars per hour. You have already committed those dollars that you don't have to somebody else. So now you must give a third party hours to give the other party dollars. So all you've really done is sold part of your life, regardless of what it is. You've just sold part of your life. Um, that sounds to me like servitude, you know, like you're self-enslaving. You're enslaving yourself. And when I say debt, I guess I should be a little bit more specific. I'm not saying if you have a mortgage, you're enslaving yourself. Okay. Most people don't have a hundred to $400,000 lying around <laughs> to go buy their house outright. I like pretty much everyone else I know owe money on my house, but some of the items that I'm referring to that I was a, I, the items I were able to pay off were like my wife and I's vehicle paid those off, uh, paid off our credit cards. Fine. Um, we paid off our cell phones. We paid off pretty much anything that we could to the point where all we have is a mortgage and um, some bills for services we enjoy, like internet and the electric. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about your mortgage is you're, you know, that's value. You're basically paying money towards yourself down the road. So, you know, it's it's stuff like the latter half you just mentioned that you know, and that it kind of sneaks up on people. I mean, a lot of people don't you know really pay attention to to where their money goes, and you know we're going to hit that here in a few minutes. But um, yeah, I love the way you break that down as far as the like the future future worth being owed to someone else. You know, I, I feel like everyone needs to hear it that way. It kind of puts it in a perspective of okay, let me like reevaluate 
you know, what I'm doing here and, and, and kind of figure this out. But yeah, as far as vehicles go, that's, you know, the biggest money pit. And I, yeah. I feel like every, everyone has to kind of buy a vehicle they love to, to figure that out, which is sad. But <laughs> I, I did it, you know, and I wish I, I did hadn't, it. but I did yeah. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so one thing that you just brought up and I wasn't going to bring up and till you just springboarded my memory is somewhere along my journey of red pill. Um, a number of years ago, I realized that when somebody says, how much do you make an hour? It really one day just dawned on me. I was like, wait a minute, I'm selling my life to somebody. Like I was given X amount of hours on this earth and I'm selling them. I was like, that's messed up. Like, ask yourself, what is an hour worth to you? Really, what is an hour of your time worth? And when I asked myself that, I was like, wow, I'm spending a lot of time away from my wife. I'm spending a lot of time away from the things that I enjoy doing. Like, there's got to be a better way to live, but I have all this debt. What do I do? Oh, no. And that's when it dawned on me. The first step, get rid of debt. And so I did that and then I extrapolated on it and I was like, well, what else can I do? Like, how can I make this situation even better? And I was like, I need to cut unnecessary spending. And you kind of brought this up and I think we'll just segue right into it is I went on to my bank, you know, www.codysbank.com, logged on to my uh, online banking stuff and I, w- I went through all my debit card statements and, and my credit card statement, and I looked at reoccurring charges. And I was like, okay, so what are these subscriptions that I'm paying for? And I was able to find, um, I want to say like seven-ish things that I was paying for on a monthly basis that I didn't realize. And I was like, well, shit. I'm losing, and it doesn't sound like much, but it's like, oh man, I'm losing $15 to this and $10 of that. And next thing you know, it's a hundred dollars. Well, when you take a you know $30,000 pay cut, <laughs> all of a sudden those $15 really start to matter. Mm-hmm. And I canceled everything that I didn't use and it made a noticeable impact. So some examples of that for me were like, Guitar subscriptions to online learning. That shit's free on YouTube. You, like, literally, just go watch YouTube. You can learn so much from YouTube. Like, you have the sum of human knowledge at your fingertips. Why pay for it? Um, and, well, you pay for the internet, I guess. But, you know, tit for tat, I guess. Um, so I canceled that. And then I had a storage unit. That was like 100 bucks a month. And I was like, man, I just put up a 1,200-square-foot building. Why do I pay $100 for a storage unit when I have a 1,200-square-foot building? Okay, so I got my truck, borrowed a trailer, and recruited a friend, moved it out, saved $100 there. So now we're down to saving $200 just in, like, frivolous stuff, like stuff I didn't need. And I've done that so much, and I even extrapolated on it even more, and I got rid of cable. Like my wife and I lived in this house that we moved in about um, eight, eight or nine months ago. And we didn't have any form of television until like two weeks ago at all. 
And the only reason we do now is because we have internet and I bum Netflix off of somebody else, which I'm thankful for, but (laughs) that's all we have. Um, So really, I I guess I would challenge you, like really start thinking about what you're spending, like the subscriptions, the, the storage units, tobacco products. I can tell you when I looked at what I was spending in chewing tobacco, I cut back significantly. I cut back significantly and then started buying them by like, uh, instead of like a bottle of water, think of it as like a case of water. So although I have like a bunch more, I get it at a cheaper price and ultimately I'd like to quit, but I don't want to right now. So I'm not going to, (laughs) but you know, I recognize that in myself and it's okay to step back and be like, you know, I am spending money on this, but I don't want to get rid of it. You just have to really weigh what you want and prioritize. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very important to, to budget that stuff. And it, it's not really until you sit down and look at your statements, like you said, that you really start to notice the small things that add up. And it may you know, be a reoccurring payment. You don't even realize you're paying. You just pay it because um, you have been. And if you, you know, if you go through that stuff, you can usually find a decent amount of money uh, to save, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, all that debt, you know, the unnecessary debt, even like, you know, monthly payments, it all hurts your, you know, ability to get, you know, necessary debt. Like if you have to buy a house or you need to buy a car or something like that. Um, I think everybody should be kind of familiar with your debt to income ratio, um, which is basically, you know, a measure of, you know, how much debt you have to how much you make. And it's a big, factor on being able to apply for important types of of loans Um, and just you know some data on the average debt uh, in the u.s you know the gen z's i'll go off what this table said i don't don't know about the fucking generations or whatever but what they're calling gen z 18 to 23 almost ten thousand dollars average in debt you bump up to the millennials which they say 24 to 39 and it goes to almost eighty thousand dollars and that's what we're talking about. We were talking about earlier when it said, you know, the buy now and, and worry about payments later and the having to have things immediately. It shows like that, you know, buying cars you don't need. That's all part of it. Um, and all of that affects your ability to buy things that you actually need. Um, yeah. You know, and then a little further, basically after 40, it's where you kind of max, the, max out the 135. That's, that's pretty much you've bought your, you know, your, your house, the one you're going to be in for, for a long time. And, you know, then it should start to go down obviously, but, but yeah, it's, you know, you gotta be aware of, of where the, your money is going and, uh, and how much is going to certain places. Cause it really does add up. Yeah. And I guess one thing I just thought of that I'd like to bring up because I, I think most people would know this, but you know, you never know. Um, if you're sitting down and you're like, wow, I should really get rid of some of my debt. Don't just be like, boom, I'm going to, you know, pay off my, my car because I owe on it. Well, okay, stop. First of all, we need to look at all of our debt. So like for me, my credit card, 26% interest versus my truck, which was 0% interest. Um, you should pay the credit card off first. <laughs> Take all your loans and, you know, this is not financial advice, whatever, but 
if I was you, I would take all of my loans and rank them from highest to lowest on interest and also depending on what their value is. So like 26% of you know, $2 versus 10% of $40,000. You know, there's a bit of a difference there. So you kind of have to look at what benefits you the most right now and start attacking that. And then once you get that, you can go to the next item and the next item. And that is how I approached my debt and how I would personally do it if I could do it over again would be the same way. Um, but yes. Um, so once you pay off your debt and you reduce your spending, you know, it's kind of like, okay, now what? Well, for me, it was once again, how do I build upon reducing what I spend? And it was like, okay, well, what do we buy? Uh, we buy this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, we buy food. Yeah, we buy food. Well, why can't I grow my food? Well, you can. <laughs> and I've grown or traded or, you know, worked out something with either a family member or a friend who also gardens. And my wife and I have bought, I think the only produce we've bought is apples and peaches. Like we have carrots, we have lettuce. We had lettuce when it was in season. We got zucchini from a friend. Um, I've got so much watermelon. I think I might even have to make watermelon wine because it's all going to go bad. Got cantaloupes and corn, all sorts of stuff. And that, that all brings down your bill. And like, if you have enough space, like, uh, my buddy Smokey from state of Appalachia, he's got a, a rented house on like a quarter an eighth of an acre or something. And his garden is producing just as much, if not more than mine, because he put in the time and adapted his garden to his situation. And he did, he did it perfectly. Like it was textbook and he is thriving. So that was a huge step for me as well. Like all, it was just this culmination event of events that when it all happened, it all happened at once and it was all just perfect timing. And, you know, I get all my meat. We don't buy meat at all. Um, we get it from my uncle who owns a farm and I know not everyone has that, but look into buying a cow. Sounds crazy, but $600 and you're, meat is good for a year to two years, depending on the size of your family. You know, it's just, it's crazy. It's just insane how much money you can save by kind of going back to our roots as like a horticultural society. Yeah. For those not good at math, it's only 50 bucks a month. So that's definitely the way to go. Uh, but just getting back to strategies for reducing debt real quick. Um, just for people who, who, you know, are thinking about it and, and do have or have racked up some debt, um, you know, obviously, like Cody said, focus on the, the high interest, you know, the ones if it's if it's if it's feasible to pay it off and get rid of that interest rate. That's that's one way you can do it. Um, another way is what most people refer to as the snowball method, which is essentially pay their, your minimum payment on 
all your debt payments except for the, the one you owe the least on and pay as much as you can towards that. So you knock the lowest one out. Then you find the new lowest one and do the same thing. As you, you know, accumulate, you're knocking more and more off and it, it, it helps to get rid of it quicker. Uh, another strategy is pay more than the minimum balance. Um, so basically look at your budget, look at what you're spending, uh, you know, and see where you can maybe put a little extra on a debt payment. Um, so paying that, paying more than that minimum will help you save money on interest later and get out of debt faster. So for example, if let's say you owe $18,000 on a credit card and you're looking at 15%, you know, interest and your minimum payment is 450. Well, if you make that minimum payment, you're looking at 56 payments over five years and just about $7,100 in interest. If you can pay just $150 more and make $600 payments, you're down to 38 payments over three years and only 4,700 in interest. So you're saving, you know, three grand. Over, yeah, it's yeah, it's significant. Um, like I said, that it, that won't always be available to everyone in every scenario, but at some there will be some time where you have a debt that you can do this, and you should absolutely do that, assuming you can pay for everything else. And then the you know the final thing is you know commit windfalls to debt. So when I say windfall, that's you know, large sums of money that you are given or receive, um, you know, unscheduled. So your uh, stimulus checks, for example. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, you know, myself included, a lot of people went out spending on dumb shit because uh, free money. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of debt, so that's why I did that. Uh, you, any, any bit, uh, your, um, tax refunds is another great example of this. It's money you already didn't have, you know, put it towards your debt. Don't, I mean, it doesn't even have to be hundred percent. It can be 50, 50. It can be, you know, it probably shouldn't be less than 50 on the debt side, but if you want to do 50, 50, you have something you want to buy, that's fine, but just be putting some of it towards your debt. Yeah. And as far and, as the gardening goes, I got to. 10 by four foot by 10 foot garden space. And I got more cucumbers right now than I know what to do with. I can't even give them away. <laughs> That's because I, I told you, you I was did? like, I told you, you're going to have more cucumbers than you can like yep. deal with. <laughs> Drowning in cucumbers right now. But uh, I was warned. You were right. Yep, you were warned. Um, yeah. So, um, Man, I just you totally totally sidetracked me. Uh, we were talking about debt, right? Yeah. Yep. I think you started venturing into like oh oh yeah. I um, based on what you said about debt, debt was, I think you nailed it. Like, I'm not gonna lie and be like, yeah, every time I got thirty three dollars to my name, like I was putting it towards debt. Like everything that ever happened, like all I did was stay disciplined. No, I like a normal person have things I enjoyed. And when it was like, you know, I put $800 towards my credit card this month. And then I got like an extra hundred dollars because I sold something through woodworking. Well, you know, maybe that didn't go to debt. Maybe that went to something I wanted. And it was like, you know, $800 down on my credit card. I mean, that's already a significant amount of money. Like you, you can 
reward yourself and do things you enjoy. Go out to dinner with your with your girlfriend or boyfriend or or both if you're into that. And like, you know, just live your life. Like that's allowed. You're a human being, you know, be happy, but also stay somewhat disciplined and work towards your freedom because no one's going to work for it if you don't. Like it's up to you. Like and if you are at the point where you're just drowning in debt and you don't have the means because you have all these bills, like you really got to ask yourself the hard questions. Like, am I living in a house too big? Am I living in an area that's too expensive? Am I driving a car that I can't afford? Um, Am I eating out all the time or, you know, stuff like that. Like really, it's not just a a simple, oh, I'm going to stop doing this. Like it's a big lifestyle change. But I can say personally, I am much happier making way less money now than I was before, despite the fact that, you know, people typically associate money with happiness which is not true in my experiences. Yeah, absolutely. You, you definitely need to, to spend money on yourself and on your family. That that's, that's definitely a good point. Um, I'm, you know, I also didn't mention that this is, you know, not including, you know, your normal savings. So like, like don't be putting more money than you can, like don't take money from like food or shelter or clothes or what just to pay more debt. It's got to be, this is after you've met your minimum requirements and then a little extra because you should have a buffer. Um, that's when you start making those type of payments. And also, I don't think either of us are including, you know, if, if you're at the point where it's like you're thinking about reconsolidation and all that, that's obviously not, these strategies don't work for that. But, you know, this is like manageable amounts of debt where it, it can be either a small or large or medium life change to, you know, to get out of your, get yourself out of debt and start being a little more free. And to be like totally transparent, like, um, I, I don't know what a large amount of debt is for a, an average American. I don't involve myself in other people's finances. Like I, I just don't, it's not my business, but I can tell you like personally at my worst, I had a truck payment of like, uh, I think I owed like 40 grand when I bought it. It was 0% interest, which is the reason I bought it because I'm all about interest. Um, I could afford the monthly payment. It was super expensive. I want to say it was like $600, which to me, that's very expensive. Um, And then I had like $6,000 on my credit card because I made like a really bad decision, but I recovered because I stayed disciplined <laughs> and I fell victim to the, Oh, that's shiny. It's fancy. Like I need it. And I want it now. Like boom, charged it like bad move. Ultimately it worked out cause I paid it off obviously, but you know, it wasn't the most financially sound decision. So like when I'm talking about my experiences, you have to understand like I, I typically live a very modest life and I usually didn't have a credit balance more than like $2,000. Um, and usually it was much lower at one point it was significantly higher though. So, you know, I, I can't speak, I'm not a financial expert. I'm just speaking from my personal experiences, just like Rob is. 
Yeah, I mean, as far as like numbers, it's it's not so much you know the amount of debt you have. It's like uh, what I talked about earlier, the debt to income ratio. This is stuff you know. If you don't know, you there's they have calculators for on the internet. It's free resources available, but you should not let your debt to income ratio go above forty three percent. That's typically the level at which uh, you know the, you you won't be able to. Any lender is not going to give you money if you have a higher percentage than that, um, particularly mortgages. So if you are going, you know, thinking about buying a house and you have a large debt to income ratio, you should think about, you know, trying to decrease that a little bit. And then also let me state for anyone who, you know, may not know about this, you should have some type of credit debt, you know, um, you know, method, like you should all, you should have a credit card, uh, you know, try to make payments. So basically the way I do it is I charge everything in my credit card, but uh, I have one of those discipline guys. to know. Yep. Everything <laughs> goes on their credit card because you get rewards. Yep. The other thing too, is that if, you know, if you're in a, if you own your house and you, you know, you have your car, whatever, if you're not looking to make or get any loans, this doesn't really apply. Um, but if you're young and you're starting out, you're thinking about getting a house or, you know, saving up for your a car or something like you need to have a, uh, you know, so stupid as this sounds, you have to have a debt history, but a history <laughs> of you paying off the debt is more important. So if you don't have like a lot of parents usually will add their kid's name, even when they're born, you know, they're a year old, add their name to the credit card and, as you pay all the stuff off, it's building them a credit history. That will help you get loans. Um, so j- just even putting a little bit, like I said, I put everything on a credit card, but I know what I can pay, and I know not to go over a certain amount or else I won't be able to pay. And I have never to this day missed the minimum balance that I owe. So I've never paid interest on a credit card. Um, but you should have small amounts that you can pay off, it, whether it's a couple dollars or $50, something you can easily pay off that – will help build your history if you are looking at getting a, a mortgage loan or even a vehicle loan in the somewhat, you know, short-term future. I just right. want to yeah. say that before we got to it. No, that's completely true. Um, I, I don't know. Most people, I view, I tend to interpret most people's view of myself as an extremist. So, like, I take everything to the extreme or very close. <laughs> So, like, this episode in particular is currently at a very strange time in my life where my wife and I just bought a house eight months ago, and we're already looking at selling it within the next 12 months-ish somewhere, possibly, and moving to a different state and buying our land flat out. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds with this because I want to do an entire episode when I actually go through it. Um, But we're looking at buying a land, buying land in a specific area that has very relaxed codes and where I can build the house based on my background and skills and knowledge. I can build the house or subcontract the house. Um, to build something that we don't have to go in debt for or go in debt for minimally to where the point where all we have to do is pay our taxes, unfortunately, which I know we're an agorist podcast, but I don't want to get shot or thrown in a cage. I'm sorry. Like I don't, I'd rather just stay in my garden, like 
when the time comes, maybe we can cross a different bridge. But for now, this is the system and this is what I'm stuck with. But like I said, I don't want to get into that too much, but Rob's right. Like it, it is kind of weird. You got to have a debt history. Um, and if you have a kid, put them on the, the credit card. If you're being a responsible adult, like I went to apply for my first uh, vehicle loan when I was a young kid, I would say 19, maybe, maybe 20, somewhere in there, like a young, I consider that a kid. Um, and they were like, we, we have to run your credit. And in my mind, I was like, well, I have no credit. Like, I don't know what to do. And they came back and they were like, yeah, your credit's amazing. I was like, it is? I mean, yeah, yeah, it totally is. And come to find out, my mom had put me on an account when I was like 12 or 13. And she had been a responsible adult. And I had a credit score that was through the roof. I was like, well, thanks, mom. Like, talk about setting your kids up for success that's how you do it. Like that's, well, that's not the only way you got to actually be there, but you know, like <laughs> besides the obvious stuff, like that's, that's a good step. <laughs> we don't have a roof, but you have a good credit history. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, anything else you kind of wanted to like jump into about, you know, um, uh, we keep always circling back to debt, but that is kind of like the, uh, the, you know, trying to eat an elephant in one bite kind of task. Like it's, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to some people, but we, you know, we had debt and we had like decreasing expenditure and increasing. Uh, well, I mentioned the garden, but I'll, I'll say one more thing on this. I'm not just talking about gardening. Like that was just an example. Um, some other things you can do. Essentially what I'm, trying to convey is become reliant on yourself and i'm not saying to be like a a hermit but become a producer rather than a consumer so like i collect rainwater at my house we just got a thunderstorm i just filled up like uh close to 200 gallons of water that i don't have to run the well pump for i've collected it We'll get into that another day. I have chickens. I feed them garden scraps, and I have a, a local farmer that produces chicken feed, and I get it for like like a quarter a pound, and I throw that to them, and they give me eggs and meat after you know they reach a, ma- a mature level. Um, something else I I did like I'm currently building a, an enclosure for them, so I don't have to feed them. I'm just gonna let them have this, you know, big chunk of land where they can forage for their own food. And I just got to give them water, which I collect and it falls from the sky. So you can see like, it doesn't sound like much, but we took our electric bill from $300 a month to under a hundred dollars a month in the hottest months of Virginia, which is absurd. We also don't run the AC until it hits 80 degrees inside the house pretty much. Unless we're sleeping, but that's impressive. Yeah, I'm sure we got a whole bunch of episodes planned on that kind of kind of stuff. Um, Right. Yeah. But did you want to get into um, like your wheelhouse of like your money making you money? I know that's like your because I don't have a. I'm not a big investor. Um, I'm a big. uh, hmm, Let me see. I believe in Bitcoin. 
I love Bitcoin. That's my thing. I'm not super knowledgeable, but I'm knowledgeable enough to be dangerous. Um, but I believe in it. Like that's kind of my stance. Like that's pretty much what I do. I do have a couple of retirement plans that like I can contribute to, but besides that, like I don't get involved in a whole bunch of investing. That's more like Rob's thing. And I always go to him. Uh, did you want to touch on that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, basically the other kind of aspect we wanted to hit was um, like, how do you increase your funds? And beyond more than just work harder. Um, so, and I, I think we do, or at least I would be interested in doing a bit, a Bitcoin episode. Um, cause I am trying to get into it. I keep putting it off, putting it off, but I really do want to, and maybe we can do an episode around that, but, um, and that's good in its own way. Um, uh, but basically, you know, trying to increase your net worth. So, you know, some of it is related to, you know, producing, uh, another topic we didn't hit on that was, uh, DIY, you know, learn how, how to use a tool, learn how to fix things. Cause it's, it can save you a lot of money. Um, you know, don't keep large amounts of, of money in your checking or savings accounts. Um, cause it's not doing you any good. Uh, you know, prioritize expenditures. A lot of it is, you know, really the debt, but as far as investing goes, and we might be able to make this into a, an episode or, or in the future, but just to hit the basics, um, Investing is important. Um, however you want to do it, there's numerous ways, you know, go, go to YouTube. I'm sure there's stuff on YouTube, go to the library. You can find a lot of stuff. Open um, a book. Yeah. Yeah. Shocker. Right. But one of the things I really, really want to stress to people is get started as early as possible. Time is your friend, but it's also your enemy if you wait too long. So for those who don't know, Compound earning is is what truly increases your your net worth at a, at a quick rate. You know, our generation is is well. You know, some may argue this. Uh, at least up until a couple of years ago, we were almost certain to you know live longer than our parents, and which means our money's gonna have to last longer. Uh, we're potentially clear more hurdles, financial hurdles in life. Um, so you have to be prepared for that. The other thing. Um, that comes along with that is the outlook of social security. Um, again, that can be argued too. Uh, the best way to go about that is to plan on, you know, don't count on receiving the same benefits that our parents or our grandparents got, uh, because it's just, there's so much up in the air. There's just no way to, to, to count on that. So if you don't count on it and you plan around it, if the, if you do get something that's just, you know, icing on the cake, uh, so again, like I said, time is your most valuable resource. Um, if, uh, you know, if you set up just as raw numbers, let's say you set aside $200 a month and you earn an average return of 7%, which is, is really middle of the road after 40 years, you're looking at $4,800. I'm sorry, not $480,000. Oh, um, that's no, yeah, yeah. Um, that's Small a sitting calculation. Yeah, so I don't know what I was thinking with that, but um, yes, four hundred and eighty thousand dollars after forty years. That's no contributions beyond that, um, and it's that's you know you go back to you know having to owe or you know use time out of your life to you know make money. This is not costing you any time. You know, it's it's just sitting there. Um, the goal 
should be 10 to 15 percent of your income. I know it's not feasible for everybody. You know, it's not even feasible for people at every point in their life. There will be points where you can't put 15 percent in because you have kids or you know, tree falls through your roof. You know, shit happens. Um, so it can be adjusted. But the number one thing is I want to stress is figure out what you have for as far as retirement goes. If you have, if you work for a company that has a 401k um, and they match your contributions, always at least put enough in to get the match Um, because otherwise you're just really giving up free money. Um, IRAs. I know like I'm just trying to hit the general points here. We can get into the rest later, but you know, Roth IRAs are really beneficial Um, as of 2019 and even I think 2020 or 2020. Yeah. Um, you can contribute up to 6,000. Um, unless you're, as long as you're below the IRS threshold, which is some ungodly amount. I don't, if, if that's you, then this doesn't apply. Um, we're well below that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us are going to be well below that. Um, so a lot of advice, um, I got from my father and my grandfather who are very knowledgeable in this area. Um, again, is, is time. And there's an example that I got from reading uh, uh, Kiplinger's magazine um, is, is this. So let's say we have two scenarios. So let's say we have an individual who starts investing money at 20 years old. They save $5,000 a year, which isn't a whole lot, uh, and they get 8% interest uh, in return. At 30 years old, they, they stop. And they put no more money in it at all. That's just, that's all they got. You have a second individual. They decide not to start investing until their thirties. They, you know, they're having fun in their twenties. They got stuff they want to pay for and buy. They're going to put it off. So in their thirties, they decide to start saving same amount every year. They started later, but so because of that, they don't stop after 10 years. They go until age 60, which is when you can retake, you can start taking out your retirement $5,000 a year. Most people are going to think, oh, that, you know, all that time, like they're going to have way more money. Not the case. Individual one ends up with more money. To be exact, it's $1,156,619. The second individual only makes $930,000. So you're looking at a difference of $226,000. That's a relatively nice home. That is a Ferrari. That is... <laughs> Five years of retirement. It, I mean, whatever you want it to be, that is a significant amount of money. And Ferrari. It, <laughs> it it just it stresses the importance of you got to start early. It's it's not time in. It's it's when you start. Um, so you know, go out. You know, pick up a book, learn about it. You know, even magazines. There's a lot of good financial magazines that have information about this. It's it's out there. You know, try to start. Uh, you know, learn about it because it's it. Yeah, assuming shit doesn't completely hit the fan, this is it's, it's going to be here. This is how you, one way you can do it. Um, and yeah, like I said, as, as far as you know, your options, you know, I won't get into this a whole lot either. But you basically, you have your stocks and your bonds. Um, don't go on fucking Robinhood and start you know investing in Disney and throwing money around. That's not how you do it. Um, you have mutual funds. Uh, I, I, I stand by these. It's basically a, a mix of investments um, packaged together by like whoever you 
you know, I use Vanguard, but there's, you know, a bunch of companies, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, all good, you know, reputable places. Uh, basically, you you have your money invested and it's indexed off, you know, the S&P or the Dow. And as the, mar- you know, the market is all, you know, always going up and down and, you know, some days worse than others, but it's always trending up. So you're always going to be, you know, making some money. Um, that's as far as I'll get into that, you know, cause like I say, it can get very, uh, it's a slippery slope from there, but, um, investing is definitely important. Like I said in the beginning, do not have your money just sitting in a checking account. You know, that's worse than a savings, at least a savings account you're making, you know, points, you know, 7% or whatever, but you know, even just a basic mutual fund, it gets you more than a checking or a savings account. So, um, and definitely important as far as, you know, trying to grow your wealth, you need to be looking at these things. Um, and like we said, maybe Bitcoin is the way to go. You know, who knows? So I'm glad you said that because we are very similar. Um, dear friends, been friends for quite a long time. Um, and this is the one area I think we really differ on. Yeah. And um, it's not that I disagree necessarily. It's that I just kind of feel like I had a different approach. Um, I guess like the black pill would be like, well, the U S dollar is going to be worthless. So buy Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> like that's my take. Um, but you know, it has survived quite a long time and you know, the federal reserve has proved that they can keep a ship on fire floating for a very long time. So who knows? Yep. Um, but I would also say Bitcoin, although it has dropped, you know, $20,000. So like 33% over the last, uh, four months is still always trending up. I would say that, um, it's, it's a long haul, and I don't view it as a stock. I view it as a currency. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with that. Um, but I would say something that I invest in is not IRAs, and although I do, but um, I invest in tools, kind of bringing this full circle to what you said a while ago. So I invest in, in, in items that can produce value. So... I bought a tractor and a chainsaw and my woodworking equipment and all these other things because yes, they are expensive, but one job, I did a, I did a job with my tractor two months ago that paid for the monthly payment of my tractor. I guess that is one more debt I have is my tractor, but I use it and I can contract to work out and make money with it. Um, you know, my woodworking equipment. I didn't know diddly squat about woodworking until my old man, grandfather, um, who's really not a great person, but is a hell of a woodworker, showed me how to do woodworking. And now it's like I've got everyone beating down the damn door for handcrafted wood products. You know, I used to do electrical work. So it's like, man, I really need to wire and get power to this building that I just built. If only I knew an electrician. Oh, wait, I'm an electrician. Like all these skills, like I've invested in different ways. I've invested in knowledge and how to work with my hands and how to produce things that are valuable so that people with more money than me are too and dumber or lazier will give me their money 
based on the equipment and the skills and the knowledge I have. So while yeah, that's, I will those are, agree, that's a great point. Yeah, I do agree where like you can't look in our, we can't look in this crystal ball and just be like, you know, in five years, the U S dollar is going to go crazy and we're going to go to a, an electronic based world coin. Like we, we just don't know. So while yes, I do agree with like mutual funds and IRAs and 401ks, especially matching 401ks and all the things that you just mentioned. I also believe that like, you know, Hey, I bought a $600 chainsaw, very expensive chainsaw to me, but it's invaluable in, in the fact that, Hey, I had to cut down uh, a ton of trees for my chicken coop and my chickens area. And I had to clear a bunch of brush that would have costed thousands of dollars versus 600 in some sweat equity. So I guess, you know, we could really break this down into assets and liabilities. And a lot of people will mistakenly put things that are liabilities in the asset column based on a false sense of security. Like a lot of people would be like, oh, a house is an asset. Well, yes, in a way it is. Typically, as things have worked out, you buy a house for, you know, $150,000, $200,000, and then you pay some off and it appreciates in value. So you get some sort of equity upon the sale of that house. Well, let's talk to the people that bought a house in 2007 and see what they say. You know, like we have to, you have to be able to step back and take a 40,000 foot view. And it's like, okay, I, is this an asset or a liability or can it be both depending on my situation? You know, if you bought in 2007, but you're never buying a house again, I guess it really doesn't matter. You know, like you're not dependent on that equity, but if you were a uh, real estate kind of person that flips and homes and whatnot, and you bought a home in 2007 trying to flip it, and now here we are uh, in 2009 or 2010, you know, in our time machine, and it's like, shit, this house ain't worth a half of what I paid for it, and I've got more than that from what I put in it to fix it up. Like, it, it's a, it, you really got to step back and look at your assets versus um, liabilities, and like, tools can, in my opinion, skills, knowledge, and tools are always going to be assets if they're quality and you can justify it like a tractor or a chainsaw or, you know, anything, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I still believe all the investments up aside, like the best place you can invest is in yourself, is in your skills, your knowledge, your ability to, um, do things yourself a, a lot of you know the amount of people that can't you know change their own oil like just stuff like that saves you a lot of money down the road as far as you know home improvement stuff it, it you know there's videos out on youtube of you know people who have never even picked up a hammer before doing it so it it is very important i think and we will get into this uh for sure later at some point but going back just real quick on bitcoin i think we do differ a little bit i think the the area we get, we start to differ on is whether you, whether you start viewing it as an investment or as it's like a 
currency. If, if, if you're talking about just purely investment, Bitcoin is never going to, you know, beat the, the markets, you know, mutual funds, all that. Um, it's just not. But if, if you are worried about the, the dollar, which you probably should be at least thinking about it, Bitcoin as an alternative currency, absolutely. It, it, so much value there for that. So it just depends on which way you're looking at it. As far as the way I think about it is I'm going to invest in the dollar until it no longer serves me a purpose. I hope to have some Bitcoin so that if, if it hits, shit hits the fan, really, then I'm prepared. But I'm not like investing my wealth on Bitcoin. I'm going to invest that on the dollar. So, Well, I also think – so two things. One, um, I think in, if we took like – I don't know. That's, that's an interesting thought I just had. Like if you took individual one from the scenario who invested at 20 until, you know, X age and their IRA or mutual fund, whatever it was, um, mm-hmm. versus someone who – quote unquote invested in Bitcoin, what it would be because, you know, the, the unfortunate reality is we only have like what, 12 years of Bitcoin history. And it's like, well, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to compare when you only have 12 years of history. I tend to believe that Bitcoin is to the moon. Like, you know, um, that's just me. Uh, but though, um, personally, I as an investment or yes. as a to both as an investment and as a currency. Okay. So, like, that's just my personal opinion, and not, this is definitely not financial advice. But like, for me personally, like, you look at something that has grown so much, and really, what we're working on is game theory and the adoption of Bitcoin, and it's like. Every day, it's like, you know, this bank is now offering Bitcoin ATMs. This country is now accepting Bitcoin as a standard form of currency. And it's like, that's huge. Like, adoption is everything when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, And then with, you know, the lightning, it's just too much to get into. And I really don't want to deep dive until the time is right. But Personally, I believe it could at least give a run against traditional investing. Could. I'm not saying it will. I think it is very possible. Um, but as for a currency, um, you know, I, I love Bitcoin as a currency. Like, I fucking love it. It's so much yeah, easier. I bought um, some... <laughs> so... Here in Virginia, it's legal now. So my wife and I bought some marijuana seeds, <laughs> and I paid nice. in Bitcoin. And she's like, "I don't know how this works. Like, hey, do you how much Bitcoin do you have? I'm trying to buy seeds." And I was like, first of all, I'm not telling you how much Bitcoin I have. Second of all, we can buy your seeds using Bitcoin. Yes, that is fine. And so it's surprisingly way easier than using the U.S. dollar. They're like, first of all, they give you 10% off, which is good for them because they know it's probably going to rise 10% before too long. Um, And the transaction went something like this. Uh, I'm on my computer, you know, marijuana seeds dot, fuck it, dot gov, whatever. And um, (laughs) 
they say it's going to be X amount. I was like, okay, they give you an address. I got on my wallet, sent it to the address, done. They were like, your payment's been received. I was like, that's so easy. Like, ah, it's just so much easier than typing in all these unnecessary numbers. I don't know. Maybe it's the same thing, just different. Same, same, but different. But regardless, um, you know, I, I am a big proponent of Bitcoin and a uh, big proponent of skills and knowledge and like just really like Rob said, he said it perfectly, like investing in yourself. Like when I did electrical work, if somebody came to us and they were like, hey, we want a ceiling fan replaced right out the gate, minimum charge, 250 bucks, not including the price of the fan, like just to get in the fucking truck and come to your house. 250 bucks. Then the price of the fan and labor, you're looking at 500 bucks, you know, something like that. And it's like $500. I mean, I put top of the line fans in my house, two of them. And I think combined they were 500 bucks. And it was like no problem because I had the knowledge and the skills and the ability to put them in. So it's like, you know, automatically just from having a couple basic tools and some basic knowledge, you can save yourself so much money. Um, it's just really, you know, it's really a unprecedented time that we live in where we have so much information at our fingertips and so many great resources online on Odyssey or YouTube or, you know, whatever your preferred streaming platform is. I just, uh, I mean, DIY is just, I think that is going to be a very apparent um, change in the culture of the world, especially as our generation has kids and raises them to be our age and like, you know, the baby boomers uh, grow old and pass away and whatnot. Um, it's just interesting. It's interesting to kind of think about because then you kind of have to play devil's advocate with what we were saying earlier about trade school. And like, if everyone's DIYing, then like, do we really need tradesmen and whatnot? But, you know, I would say there is like an obvious difference between like, I build farms for a living now, essentially, and focus on agricultural fencing. I can drive past a fence and tell you if a company did it or if the farmer did it. And I can, I can probably be right 90% of the time, at least. Like when you get someone who is truly honed in on their craft, it's hard to DIY that level of efficiency and like professional professionalism so yeah kind of feel yeah, like just, I'm talking you just got to weigh the benefits of yeah i mean it's always good to have both perspectives yeah. so yeah um is there anything else you really wanted to add about you know financial freedom or any other ways that you could suggest or experiences you'd like to share um Good or bad? I think that's kind of it. Yeah, other than, you know, I then didn't write this in my notes, and I, I can't believe I didn't think about it, but just, you know, kind of harping on the, you know, investing in yourself, in your your knowledge and your skills. I mean, that's just, this. I mean, that's that's the best form of investment you can you can really do. Um, you know, there's, I, there's not much around my house, that I can't fix on my own. And, you know, I could you know, sit here and talk to you for hours, you know, honestly, just the past week, I had to fix a hole in my roof. Like, 
when you when you have the knowledge and the skills to do stuff like that, you save yourself. I mean, as far as the roofing goes, godly amounts of money. Um, not everything's gonna, you know, you know, like I said earlier, changing your oil is not really gonna save you that much money. It's, um, but when you get into the higher stuff like that, you start to see a lot of savings, and and you know, it can be really beneficial. So go go yeah. learn something. Go learn a trade. I, I think there will always be. The trades will always be there. I think the DIY thing is kind of a phase. Um, I think it may get some people into basic, you know, cosmetic stuff. But I think as far as like skills that I know you and I have that, you know, can be taught and, and that really make a difference. I think that as a society, we've kind of moved away from that. They may one day get to a point where most people know how to do that, but it'll be a long time. So, yeah. And that's like- yourself. I, I look back at my life and I guess, you know, as we wrap things up, I'll kind of like just share this, like in my life, um, since I was working, I started working at 13, I've done electrical work. Um, I've done all sorts of things, just whether I was down on my luck and like just needed a job, like a job at all. Like I never went to like, um, like a fast food place. I've never worked in a place where it was like, Oh, I need a job. I'll take anything. Like I'm going to a chain store to be a cashier or waitress or something or waiter, I guess. But, um, like I started off with electrical work. I learned a lot. And then, you know, I was down on my luck one time I did roofing. I was down on my luck one time I did a temp agency. And when I worked for that tape at temp agency, it was like, Hey, today you're going to be doing electrical work tomorrow. You're going to be doing concrete work. Uh, the next day you'll be doing plumbing. Um, now I do agriculture on equestrian fencing. I install livestock waterers, like just how to manage livestock, the orientation of fences with topography and, you know, different geographical aspects, like all those things that I thought were just like shit jobs at the time. I was like, man, it's freaking January. I'm out here on the roof of this house and I'm right on the Potomac river and it's freezing cold and this sucks. I just want to get into a different job, blah, blah, blah. But now I know how to do roofing. And it was like, wow, I'm really, really glad. I'm really glad that I, I took a job roofing for, you know, four months because with the exception of a couple trades, like there's definitely some, some trades that are a little more complex than others. Like, when you start getting into electrical work and three-way switches and you have all these wires and people don't know what to do with them, like, you know, that's a little more technical, but when you're talking about like carpentry roofing, no offense to all the carpenters and roofers out there, uh, Jay, but like, you know, there's only so much to them. Like, yeah. When you get into intricate roofs, maybe it's a little difficult, but if you're talking just a standard, like roof, it's not that difficult. Um, so like I anyway, full circle, I'm really glad I went through everything I went through. Um it taught me a lot about um how I can use my hands and you know, if I ever had to with my roof, now it's like I could fix it or you know, my kitchen sink needs fixing, I can fix that or you know, light goes out and I can fix that. So like knowledge, skills, I'm a huge proponent of trades. I'm back in the trade industry now. I wish I had never left almost. Eh, I wouldn't say that, but like, I'm very glad to be back. Um, And I think 
if there's any like young viewers out there that are like, you know, I'm not really on, I'm not really certain I want to go to college. I'm not really certain that, you know, that's the the path for me. Like, I think I'll just go into this trade, like go for it. You can, college will be there. Like, unless someone's paying for it, like you're going to go in debt either way, you know, plenty, plenty of adults have put themselves through college for various reasons. Like just go out there and learn, like get knowledge, learn how to be a useful human. Yeah. Well said. So yeah, that's, uh, that's my personal take. I think that's all I have to say about the first step of freedom or one of the first major steps, which would be financial freedom. And, uh, you know, I'm not completely debt free, but I'm a lot freer than I was. And I hope that all the listeners can take something from this and become more free in their lives. Yeah. It's a lot to digest, but there's a lot of good stuff we covered. So honestly, it all starts by just taking that first step. And I think we both agree that that financially is, is the best first step you can take. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I gained a lot of personal freedom when, uh, at the time my employer government entity was doing things I didn't like. And it was like, well, shit, I can't tell them how I feel. And if I don't do what they say, I'm going to lose everything I own. That's not freedom. And I was like, you know what? That's not how I want to live. And so I got myself to a point when eventually they said some things I didn't like. And I was like, y'all can get fucked. (laughs) I'm out of here. So, uh, yeah. Put yourself in a position where they can't hold anything over your head. But uh, wrap things up. Follow us on Twitter at app agorist pod. That's A-P-P agorist P-O-D or Instagram Appalachian agorist. Um, and that's pretty much all I got. Yeah. I think it's a yep. good, good first episode. As always, guys. Keep rolling them out. Yep. Stack sats. Until next time. <laughs>